the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is pre-recorded. Opinions expressed may not reflect those of Salem Media of Colorado or its sponsors. This is Life in Colorado, a radio news magazine about the issues, events, and the unique life we live in the Centennial State. Hello again and welcome to another edition of Life in Colorado. I'm your host, Louis Gonzalez, and I am honored to speak to my next guest. She is the Vice President of Sheltering at Dumb Friends League, Katie Parker. Katie, welcome to the program. Hi, thanks so much for having me. No problem. Thank you for agreeing to do the show. So, Katie, tell us about yourself and your journey in joining Dumb Friends League. Oh, well, sure. Um, I am actually a Denver native. I grew up here uh, right in the southeast Denver neighborhood around where the uh, largest Dumb Friends League shelter is located. Hmm. And I am an Air Force veteran. Wow. When I got out of the Air Force, I moved back home to Denver and decided that working here at the animal shelter was something that would be very fulfilling for me. Okay. So this is actually the second time I've worked as a staff member at Dumb Friends League, and I've spent the last 15 years working in animal welfare. So I am very um, grateful to be able to connect with the community through a shared love for pets and pets that have needs that we can all work together to solve. So uh, tell me, what was your experience with uh, with pets? Did you have any yourself growing up? I did, yep. I had family dogs, uh, a couple of labs named Ollie and Tugboat, and mm-hmm. they, were, they were lovely. Uh, we got them in a variety of places. One was a shelter adoption. One was from a friend who couldn't keep their dog any longer. Um, and I just got to witness the way that a pet can really be part of a family and can enhance everyone's life. Absolutely. What would you say are the benefits to owning a pet? Oh, we could talk about that all day. There are so many things. You know, pets give us unconditional love, and there are tangible and intangible ways. Everything from a dog who's going to help you be motivated to get some exercise and get some fresh air in the middle of a day after looking at the screen all day, Mm -hmm. uh, to a cat who's going to cuddle up on your lap and help warm you up on a cold night like today. Right. And they, I mean, there there are some scientific ways that they're proven to improve our health, they improve our sociability, they make our homes feel more full and have more energy. Uh, There just are so many ways that pets make our lives whole. Absolutely, I agree. I never had uh, a cat or, well, I did for a while have a dog, but uh, I did have uh, two hamsters, and due to my my love of Back to the Future, they were both named uh, Marty and Jennifer. And uh, I had them for a while. This was back when, uh, I don't know if you're old enough to remember, Woolworths. That was uh, a very early department store. That's back when they sold pets uh, or or rather animals. And I don't believe believe you can do that anymore, which kind of shows my age. So tell me, Katie, what is the main objective of the Dumb Friends League? 
our mission is to end pet homelessness and animal suffering. Mm. And so we are a comprehensive animal welfare organization working with all types of companion animals and the people who are connected with them to help ensure that no pet uh, is in need of a home and that animals don't suffer in our community. That's a, it's a, a, a valid, valid mission. Uh, so tell me, how long has the Dumb Friends League been operating? We were initially founded, believe it or not, way back in 1910. Wow. And we have been in the Denver community and now in the broader Colorado community ever since then in a variety of ways, building on the work that our early founders did mm-hmm. and looking for new ways all the time that we can help the community and be a partner and a good member of our community. I'm speaking with Katie Parker, Vice President of Sheltering at Dumb Friends League. So, Katie, now you mentioned that the Dumb Friends League has been operating since uh, around 1910 or so. That's when they were founded. So for people out there who uh, weren't born in the early 20th century, uh, tell us what, uh, what dumb meant back then. At that time, the word dumb was used to describe beings, people, and animals that cannot speak. Right. And so that connected with us because our mission at that point or uh, part, you know, part of what we were founded to do was to speak for the creatures in our lives that can't speak for themselves. And so the terminology at that point was appropriate for the work. Obviously, it's a little different now. But, right. Um, that history is how our name was created and chosen. Okay. Now, there there haven't been people who have been pressuring you to change the name of the uh, organization, have there? Um, we get questions about it from time to time. Mm-hmm. Questions about why that name is the name that we have, sure. what it means, and um, people who don't think that animals are dumb and don't understand <laughs> why we do either. Right. And so we're often able to explain that history and how um, it's it's kind of our legacy and where our work is connected back to that name. But we also understand people's questions, and so we take those those questions and those inquiries seriously. Absolutely. I'm speaking with uh, Katie Parker, Vice President of Sheltering at Dumb Friends League. So tell us, now, the, the, the main objective of the organization is to end pet animal homelessness. So why is it more important to adopt rather than purchasing an animal? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, Adoption is almost giving a pet a second chance at having a home. So when you purchase an animal, you're supporting a pet store, ultimately a breeder, or just a breeder directly who intentionally bred that animal Mm. for the purpose of selling it and is using that as, you know, an income generating source. When you adopt a pet, it's a pet that's already in our community, already in our city, and that is in need of a place to go. And so it is helping to solve a problem at the same time that you are taking on a really awesome new member for your family. Now tell me something. Are are there sometimes issues with uh, pet adoption? So have you ever seen like an influx of a specific type of animal? And, and why would you say that happens? Well, there are different things that happen at different times. Sometimes it can be based on time of year. 
So there is typically, we see an influx of kittens mm. in the late spring or early summer because that's a time when cats, if they aren't spayed and neutered, are naturally more likely to have litters of kittens. Right. People find those litters or they have them in their home and they can't, they don't have you know a place to put 10 kittens and so they bring them here. Mm. But also we see an influx of pets from community members when community members are struggling. So in a time like this, and like we've experienced over the past few years, people are struggling for a variety of reasons. That could be economic, it could be housing related or health related. And um, when people are struggling, they have to find ways to ease whatever is going on. And unfortunately, uh, but realistically, sometimes that, that getting their pet into a better place is one of those ways they're able to ease what they're struggling with. Right, absolutely. Now, I'm sure that there are situations where perhaps someone in a family, most likely a little kid, uh, says to the parent, well, I'd really like a little kitty, you know, and they perhaps go and um, get that little kitty and then the kitty grows up. And then perhaps the kid grows up and perhaps they want to do other things rather than, I don't know, taking care of a live animal. Does that happen a lot to where uh, kids or parents really just don't know what they're getting themselves into and uh, they come to you for help? Yeah, it does happen. Um, On the adoption side, we try to do our best to educate and to make sure that adopters have a realistic expectation mm-hmm. of what the lifetime of that pet is going to look like. Right. We also have, we we try to have as many and as widely, vari- widely varied resources mm-hmm. as we can to help people who might be in that situation, whether they need help with training, they need help with some type of problematic behavior. If they have medical needs that they can't pay for, we have... Um, a subsidized veterinary hospital. So we try to do what we can to help the pets stay with the family. But it is also very important to us and a commitment that we feel very strongly about that we are always going to take a pet back Hmm. if we adopted it into a family and it's no longer a fit for that family for any reason. So we want people to know that this is always a safe place for them to bring that pet back if they're no longer able to take it. Mm -hmm. But what we'd really like to do is help them figure out a way to keep it. Absolutely. So tell me, what are some of the more important steps that one uh, needs to take in order to successfully adopt a pet? Um, Do you mean in our process or do you mean like in their life to be successful with an adoption? Let's go with both. Okay. Well, In our process, we try to make our process streamlined and simple and also thorough. So when people are interested in adopting, they can can come into any of our shelters and look around and see what animals we have. If they find something they're interested in or if they've looked on our website to find an animal that they're interested to meet, they get in line. We use a really simple uh, online check-in system like you might use at a restaurant, Mm -hmm. and then they will have the opportunity to talk with our staff members, our um, awesome adoption counselors who know the animals and who are great at making matches between people and their particular lifestyle with what we know about a pet. And we, we provide input, and we also listen to what the family's interested in and help to make a good match. 
And from there, it's pretty simple. We have a little bit of paperwork we have to do. We make sure that you're set up with a veterinary hospital so mm -hmm. that you can get on the right track for veterinary care for the lifetime of your pet. Uh, we set you up with a bag of food to help the transition into the new home be smooth for the animal. We have a wonderful partnership with Hills Pet Nutrition, and they provide a bag of food for every cat and dog going home. Mm -hmm. And then we also have behavior resources, so we can send people home either with like printed out information and also with links to places on our website where they can find information on lots of different things for helping their pet get integrate it into their household, and be successful. That's that, that's awesome. Why don't you go ahead and uh, give out that website? Oh, sure. It's uh, ddfl.org. So Delta Delta Foxtrot Lima.org. Awesome. I'm speaking with uh, Katie Parker, Vice President of Sheltering at Dumb Friends League. Okay, so now these people have gone through the process. They've uh, adopted a pet. What are the first steps that uh, they need to do after that whole process is done. Now that now the animal is home, so where do we go from here? Yeah, that's a that's a great question and something that we are always um, helping people get prepared for. And I think maybe one of the most important things of that is to really take it slow. No right. matter what animal it is, no matter what approach, it's new and. It can be a little bit intimidating for the animal, whether they're fearful in general or yeah. not. All of that new stuff, it's new people. It might have been, you know, maybe the only the second or third car ride that they've ever had in their life. Wow. Um, if you have pets in your home, that's all new to them. So no matter what, we advise a really slow introduction. Okay. That means uh, for dogs... We don't we don't recommend taking them places to socialize for a little while. Let them get used to their new home and their new family first. And then once they're settled in, you know more about them, they'll feel more secure, and you can decide what type of social activity is appropriate for them. For cats, we recommend that the new cat gets their own space okay. in their new home to start. And that way they are able to settle in without either – resident animals feeling like a new animal is encroaching on their space mm -hmm. or feeling threatened by those resident animals. And so we recommend a pretty slow transition period, a couple of weeks for them being isolated in the new home mm -hmm. and slowly being introduced to bigger area and any other pets that might be in the home. That's awesome. And now let's, um, let's get to uh, something a little sadder now. What are the signs that someone may need to surrender their pet. And what is that process like? So, you know, there are so many different reasons. Um, it, it's probably a, a slightly different situation for every single patron that we've, that we are introduced to who's surrendering their pet. But in almost every case, it's a really tough and heartbreaking decision. Mm -hmm. And we want to be a compassionate resource for those people. So we have, um, at, at all of our shelters, we accept dogs, cats, and, and most small pets. There's a couple types of more exotic pets that we try not to take because they're not often um, adopted as pets, and we don't, we're not really the right place for them. But right. we, so we accept walk-ins and take appointments for surrenders. Right now, for dogs, we are only accepting dog surrenders by appointment because we've had such demand for shelter services for dogs. Mm. Over the past few years, we've had to 
use an appointment system to limit it a little bit. We look very forward to the time when we will be able to open that back up, but for right now, it is an appointment-based system unless a dog is a dog that was adopted from here at some point in the past. Um, and for other emergency situations, we do our best to always work on finding a solution for people. Right. So whether it's an appointment or a walk-in, um, the person comes to our shelter, there's a specific entrance for pet admissions, whether it's at Buddy Center, our San Luis Valley shelter, or our Malone Center in Denver. And we, the people come right in. Um, again, they'll sign in through our, our digital queue system. And then we do our best to collect as much information as we possibly can about the animal and the home that they've been living in, because that helps us find what's going to be the best match for them mm -hmm. in the future, whether it's the most similar or whether there was something that was challenging for them in the home they were in. And we're going to try to find something that eliminates that particular challenge from their life. So we go through a pretty extensive conversation, ask questions, um, we like to hear, you know, what the animal likes, what their routine is like. All of those things are going to help us not only provide better care, but also find a better match. We get medical history, veterinary records if we can. Um, and then we do some medical care at the very beginning of an animal's journey mm. to vaccinate them and make sure that they are coming in in the healthiest way that they can and also being protected from the inevitable germs that are in the shelter from all the other animals that are here. Right. And then we enter them into our shelter population. Okay. Now, uh, on the website, you pretty uh, people can see what types of pets you have uh, available for adoption. Now, I have yeah. to ask, uh, um, now, is it just uh, cats and dogs, or can I get a capybara or perhaps a small bear, something of that sort? <laughs> Well, we try to avoid the small bears. Okay. We do have um, a wide variety of small pets, though, but much more typical. So like you, like your former pets, the hamsters. Right. Rabbits, guinea pigs. Occasionally we'll have a type of reptile or bird. We have rats and mice. Mm. Um, occasionally a chinchilla, sometimes a ferret. Um, so it, it varies based okay. on, you know, what we've gotten from a community member. But there are always a variety of small pets in addition to the cats and dogs and kittens and puppies. Oh, okay. Now, do you, uh, does anybody ever step in and say, well, listen, I know that you're looking for a rover, but uh, we've got a nice chinchilla here that uh, might better fit your situation? Yes, believe it or not. It might not go quite that far from a dog to a chinchilla. Okay. But we sometimes do have someone who will come in thinking they were looking for a dog and they go home with a cat. Mm. Or what we see more often than anything is someone who came in thinking they were looking for a puppy right. or a kitten mm -hmm. and leaves with an adult cat or dog. Because after talking with our staff and really understanding what the house training is going to look like right. or what the kitten litter box training and behavior is going to look like, they realize that at the point their life is they're going to be a better match and appreciate more having an adult dog that's already gone through those steps. Right. Is it harder to adopt out an older animal? It is. It takes longer. Um, the Part of that is that there are fewer young animals with mm. us. Right. So just a little bit less availability. Mm -hmm. um, but also there there's a lot of reasons that people are just kind of immediately by default attracted to a puppy or kitten. You sure. can't deny the cuteness. No, of course not. 
yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, you know, to see those uh, small faces and those big eyes, I mean, it really is hard to resist. But does it come to a point to where perhaps an animal might only have three years left? I mean, do you go over that with the, uh, you know, with the person who might possibly adopt this pet? We do. Um, One of our other major commitments to our community is being absolutely as transparent as possible about Mm -hmm. what we know about the animal, their age. You know, we don't always know their age, but we do our best to estimate approximately. Sure. Um, and, and their medical conditions. And so we want people to know what they're getting into. But there are many people who would love to give an older cat or an older dog really lovely end-of-life experience. So whether mm. that's three years in the sort of their retirement home right. or whatever it is, people love that and feel like first, you know, it might be someone who's just retired themselves or it might be someone who had um, a senior dog that they recently, unfortunately, had to put to sleep, and mm-hmm. but they just loved those golden years that they shared. Sure. And so they want to adopt another animal and experience that part of pet ownership again. So for a wide variety of reasons, older animals are often a really great fit for certain people. Hmm. Tell us about Pet Assist and how that works. Sure. So our Pet Assist program is a program that we created to offer temporary housing for people who are facing some type of uh, hardship in their life that causes them to not for a temporary period to not be able to retain their pet. So we see it often used for situations like someone who needs to go into rehabilitation or drug treatment program. Mm -hmm. And it's a set period of time. They, you know, they kind of know the date they're going to be finished, but obviously their pet can't go with them. And we find that sometimes people will make the decision not to go because Mm. they don't know what to do with their pet. And by having a program like this, not only are we providing a safe place for the pet, but we're actually kind of by that action, enabling the person to get the care that they need. So there are different situations. Um, We provide that service for people who are experiencing domestic violence. Mm. We can do it for people who are hospitalized for a surgery or something like that. Um, there are a lot of different situations, but it is, it's a—it's not a unique program mm-hmm. to the league. Uh, there are different versions of it in different places, but it is a program that we feel for the right situation can be very, very effective. I'm speaking with Katie Parker, Vice President of Sheltering at Dumb Friends League. So how does the organization help with uh, pets who are lost? Well, for pets who are lost and lucky enough to be found by someone Mm -hmm. who is, you know, kind of a good Samaritan and takes the action of getting that pet contained and brought to us, um, we offer them the same safety of shelter that we offer to surrendered pets. So we are open for um, stray pets, all of our business hours, so nine to five, seven days a week. But we also have overnight kennels where if someone finds a stray pet or, in fact, if they need to surrender their pet during hours that we're not open, Mm -hmm. we are always accessible to the community. And so that's a place where someone, you know, if you live in an apartment and you have a cat, and you find a dog, you might not mm. might not be realistic for you to bring that dog into your apartment with you. Right. But it was still such a great choice to, to help that dog, and we want to make sure that people have an option. And so they can come to the shelter, use our night kennels, and leave 
that animal here. They're heated and cooled. Uh, the animals have water overnight. We have overnight staff who check on them and make sure that there aren't any immediate medical needs. And we ask people to um, complete paperwork so we know the details and can call for more information when we get back to the shelter the next day. Now, this organization has been around for about 120 years, and I just want my audience to know that uh, just because it's been around for that long um, doesn't mean that it's uh, secured. So tell me, what are some of the volunteer opportunities at Dumb Friends League? Oh, well, believe it or not, we almost every job that someone can do as a staff member here, someone can do as a volunteer here. Mm. We rely so greatly on the generosity and the amazing hard work of our volunteers. Right. It is just absolutely astounding how much work people volunteer to do with us. So whether you have a passion for working with horses, whether you have a passion for doing human education and teaching young people about animals, um, whether you want to help animals recovering from surgery, there are so many ways that you can learn a new skill and put that skill to work helping the animals at the Dumb Friends League. And uh, for people who just can't help out physically, how can they donate? And, and what is it that you're looking for mainly with donations? Yeah, thank you for asking that. We are, of course, always looking for monetary donations. And mm-hmm. there are lots of different ways, whether it's monthly donations or once a year gift that people can donate money to us, um, which keeps all of our programs running. But we also have lots of different lists of items that we are looking to accept as donations because we use them here in the shelter. You can find those on our website. Um, You know, things like string cheese, Mm. canned tuna and chicken and hot dogs, all of those we can put to use as treats and behavior training tools for the animals. We also, um, we provide a lot of psychological and mental stimulation Mm. for the animals in our kennels. We use things like egg cartons, Mm. toilet paper tubes, paper towel tubes, ping pong balls to do some of those programs. And so, you know, one man's trash is another man's treasure. And so we sometimes can put some items like that to work too. That's fantastic. Why don't you uh, go ahead and give out that website again if you can. Great. ddfl.org. Thank you so much for taking the time to learn about the Dumb Friends League and share about our work with all of your listeners. We really appreciate it. I will Katie Parker, Vice President of Sheltering at Dumb Friends League. Thank you so much for talking to me and for being a part of Life in Colorado. If you have questions or comments about today's program, please call 303-750-5687 or email us at lifeincolorado at salemdenver.com. Life in Colorado is a public affairs presentation of Salem Media of Colorado. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.